It's not only U.S. national interests. It's helping the world and helping like global stability and resilience, yeah. right? And if that's investing in climate tech, if that's supporting um, technologies and startups that you know build more trust into our society and more stability, that's what I care about. What's up? I'm Tyler Sweat. Cue the dramatic music. This is All Quiet on the Second Front, a podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soul Fire production. All right, what's up, nerds? Welcome to All Quiet on the Second Front. I've got Mike Moreno here. Hey, Tyler. He's uh, a member of the business development team at AWS, but more specifically, the public sector VC and startup team. That's right. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. It's Heck good yeah. to be here. Um, bunch of interesting stuff to talk about, right? AWS has been making a bunch of pushes to set up accelerators and new pathways and really augment some of the, the limitations we've seen in the government on how do we actually accelerate the transition of commercial tech and support the scale along the way? Yep. Um, so I wanted to sort of open up, hear a little bit more about, you know, you guys just launched another space accelerator, had a successful one in the UK. Mm -hmm. You popped the hood on kind of how AWS is looking at that, how you're involved in it, and what that means for, for startups and commercial tech. Yeah, sure. I'll tell you first about our team and what we do with startups and then yeah. sort of how that evolved into the accelerators. The public sector VC and startups team, we work with founders and investors and uh, government partners in things like my area of focus, space and national security, but then also in areas like sustainability, healthcare, and a few other um, areas. And so we're spending all day, every day with founders, with investors, helping with go-to-market strategy, fundraising strategy, help, helping to make them wildly successful. And what we saw a few years back was a great way to scale this would be to put some of those through an accelerator program. And so we created in uh, about three years ago, the first was the Space Accelerator, AWS Space Accelerator. And it's now launched for the third year in a row. We just opened applications and they close in March. And it's a four-week virtual program um, bookended by an in-person week that's an orientation and then a demo day at the end of the program. And we do all things AWS, uh, intro introductions to our partners, to investors. We help go deep on what types of technologies and AWS products and services, in this case, space startups might want to use. And then we work on their go-to-market strategy, help with their fundraising strategy, four weeks, super concentrated time, lots of resources given to them, and lots of love and attention. Heck yeah. How does I um, figure I might as well give you the opportunity to do the, the paid placement here? <laughs> sure. Right? If I'm a space startup, or I'm a guy or a gal who's building some cool shit, how do I find out more? Where do I go? Yeah, well, AWS's website is surprisingly super, difficult to navigate. Right, super easy to, to Google AWS Space Accelerator, find the one that says 2023 after it, and <laughs> click the link. We're, we're doing it in, in partnership with TechConnect, okay. which is our delivery partner this year, awesome. and they're hosting the application, so you just go on and fill the application. And I say, and so the, the focus for this year is sustainability, and sustainability uh, in and from space, meaning sustainability of space operations, and using space technologies to help meet our sustainability and climate goals here on Earth. So yeah. there's, a, there's a generally a broad interpretation of sustainability. And what I say to startups is, if you think that you're in that shot group, if you think that you're doing something in space or with space technologies uh, around sustainability, just apply because it starts the conversation with AWS. And even if you don't make it, 
to the final cohort. We're going up to 15 this year, uh, startups in the cohort. If you don't make it, you still start a conversation with us and we'll, we'll reach out to you. Pretty awesome. So take me back. You know, I, I've always remarked how intrigued I am sort of about your professional journey, um, kind of how you got to where you were. Give me the, uh, give me the redacted version because we can't go full Jason Bourne on the podcast here. Sure. So, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll say first that this is a really cool opportunity for me to talk to you in, in front of, you know, a second front systems um, uh, on a podcast with you guys, because my sort of journey from government into tech started with the offset symposium that you all hosted in 2018. That was the first event that brought together that I went to that brought together venture capital, national security, government folks, and tech. And that kind of opened my eyes and I can draw a straight line from that event to where I am today and everything that we're doing together and you know, that, I've, that I've done. But I'll start, my first job out of college in 2004 was in Baghdad with the Coalition Provisional Authority. I, I was literally on a tour of the Pentagon in 2003 and uh, the guy running the tour said, okay, we're about to start a tour, but first, is anyone interested in working in Baghdad? Because the CPA is understaffed. <laughs> and out of 30 people, I raised my hand and two months later, and I actually had three different job descriptions before I landed. They said either you're going to be either a budget or a, an office administrator or an advisor to the Ministry of Trade. Um, and this is DOD civilian job. And then when I got my orders, it said you're a budget analyst. I had no idea what that meant. I was going to go buy a book on how to do budget analysis. <laughs> and I had just graduated college. And I landed in Iraq. And I ended up, I mean, there's a longer version of the story, but I ended up working in the, uh, at, at the Ministry of Interior as a security advisor. So it, we were national security policy advisors. We wrote national security policy for the country. I was the lead advisor for the first three elections in 2005. So I advised the, the Iraqi general that, um, that ran the elections and wrote the security plan um, for the Iraqi side and stayed there for two and a half years because it was an incredible time. And came back. Don't hear a lot of people talking about the mid 2000s as an incredible time in Iraq or Afghanistan, but I like it. I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, and I realized that a character developing time. It, it was super formative. Yeah. It was, I mean, look, there were plenty of horrible experiences yeah. there, right? It's war. But at the same time, uh, you know, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I, I, it, yeah, it made no joke, today. Right? Like, yeah. I still have a group text with my team from 2006. Like, yeah. We talk every fucking week. Yeah. And I learned so many lessons in that two and a half years in, in Iraq. And I was bouncing around the country. So everywhere the police force had failed, they would send me. And, and um, so, I, you know, I was at Mosul yeah, and Fallujah, <laughs> Fallujah <laughs> and Tikrit and Samara and, and Kirkuk. And, and I went to the Iranian border and the Syrian border um, and then came home, got a grad degree in New York and because I wanted to sort of contextualize what we had been doing. And then uh, I spent a year training FBI agents at the Academy um, for the Combating Terrorism Center at West Point. I worked there in 2008. And then not long after, uh, joined the CIA as a case officer. So I spent a good chunk of time at the agency. I went back to Iraq um, as my first assignment. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And spent two years training Arabic. Went to a few other places. My last tour was in Dubai. And I got out in Dubai in 2016 because uh, I, I, I wanted the CIA and my government time to be a chapter of my book and not the story. And I got out and I saw a lot of great opportunities in Dubai. I left 
I started the a defense tech startup there. And then a, about a year later, a clean tech startup doing EV infrastructure in the Middle East. And this was around the time when I came and found you all yeah. and was wondering, okay, how do I not turn my back on my national security experience, but also work into tech, which is my passion. I've been a geek since I was three. And, and you all sort of helped me see and meet all these people, what the pathway looked like for that. Joined, uh, hooked up with Silicon Valley Defense Group, started hanging out with those guys. And then very quickly, in fact, I met someone that day that eventually helped me find this job at AWS. And you're on the right team at AWS. I mean, it's all oh, it's folks great. who are wildly passionate about the community. Yeah, and they have incredible experience. We're all former founders, former uh, government, you know, public servants. Yep. Um, they actually understand when you're talking to a founder, hey, here's how you, here is not only the agency that you need to talk to, but the office within that agency. You know, by the way, I happen to have worked with the person who, who sits at that desk, and I'm going to talk to you about what they like and what they need to hear from you. So we're really working with founders on storytelling, on you know, go-to-market strategy, on customer discovery based on our experience. Yeah, and it's, it's, I, really, I really sort of feel when you talk about, hey, I didn't want to turn my back on it, but it, I didn't want to be all in, right? Yeah. Like, when I popped out of the service, it was like, hey, I can easily take a job and go right back down totally. range and yeah. do the same damn thing. Yeah. I was like, but like, I want to, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to expand. Grow. I want to do different stuff. But I still am like wildly passionate about national security. And you know, you talk about offset, right? That's the point. The offset symposium is designed to be this event and experience that brings together conversations between policymakers, between government executives, between private capital between startups and shows that there is this common ground where we can achieve great results without having to over-engineer sort of one way or the other. Yep. May 16th this year, be there. Um, no, it's incredible. I mean, I, I remember coming back from that conference because I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I, I had just gotten out of the government and I was meeting people and it was actually James Cross who said- I like you alluding to the fact that you know what you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple of years later, a little bit more. Yeah. But, but James said, okay, go to, the, I said, and I, I said, how do I find where these worlds meet? And, he's, yeah. and he just, the timing was right. He said, go to this event. And I remember coming home from that event and saying to my wife, like, it's just so weird. It's like both of my worlds suddenly were in the same room and that never happened before where you have all of these people that speak the language of defense and intelligence and national security that I had spent the last 15 years with. And then all of these techie startup investor types that I had spent, you know, since, since I left and started a startup with, and suddenly they were starting to speak the same language. And that is absolutely crucial, right? That's all the value is, is translation and bringing those worlds together. Yeah, totally. You know, so as you sit now and you're at that sort of intersection between AWS, that's, of course, dealing with big, you know, state level sort of government. And you're on that sort of startup team, VC team. What excites you the most? Right? What are you seeing? It's been a wild couple fucking years for yeah. startups, for private capital. Um, what, what gets you? What gets so, you real fired up right now? I think it's. Certainly exciting that in the last year, folks are taking geopolitics and, and technology and national security seriously in a way that we can't ignore, right? In terms of near-peer adversaries and the fact that Russia has in fact invaded Ukraine and no one can turn you know, away from that. And that commercial technologies and startups are directly impacting the mission there. And so suddenly 
you have, there are people that have been doing this Hugh for decades. Palantir's PR team with the greatest placement <laughs> ever, right? The algorithm that won the war was like, pay that man his money. <laughs> but you, so, so Palantir's been here for a long time oh, yeah. doing this. They're old school in this, yeah. in this fight. And I remember meeting Palantir back in 2008 when I was at West Point and, and getting the first pitch. From, I actually, and, and when I was at the agency, I had a little Palantir mouse pad. They were, they've so been there for a long first, time. My first check as a founder when I was doing my own thing was from the old Incutel PM that wrote Palantir's deal. Over there. Yeah. Yeah. But also in the last couple of years, and especially in the last year, you see people, I mean, I've seen articles in the last week about global stability and resilience, tech for national security, right? Like serious investors are taking a look at this. Now, I think this is a good thing, but I would also caution that it's very easy to, to watch the news for a couple of days and then go write a TechCrunch article or whatever, you know, about why tech and national security is so hot right now and we, we love this too much. Um, I, would, I would always advise like focusing on those new opinions, but also the people that have been doing this. Yeah, I mean, that's, that gets at one of my main concerns, right? And like we've, anyone who's spent any time with me, right, has heard me dunk on VCs, right? A year ago, it was JPEG monkeys. A year before that, it was crypto schemes. Now it's, yeah. you know, democracy. Yeah. Um, right. I think there's a little bit of it where it's just, it's flash and yeah. it's, it's whatever is fetch right now. Um, I think there was a lot of free capital that created mm -hmm. a lot of VCs that, that maybe project some institutional knowledge about the market that don't. Sure. I think that's wildly dangerous for an uninformed founder. Um, and I'd be curious on your take you know, the rise of VCs, the change in public markets right now, mm -hmm. and sort of what do you think you're seeing from a signal standpoint on what that looks like in the future, right? Like, are we going to see a little bit of sustained, you know, I talked to James a little bit about, um, right, the lack of strong signal from DOD and how it's, it's kind of a, a goat rope up there, right? There's nobody running DIU. Arnie is, couldn't be less interested in emerging tech. A&S just wants to kill it. Um, what, what do we signal to the VCs? And what does that mean for the founders that are starting today? Yeah. Because those companies getting built in a recession are arguably going to be the best because they've applied constraints at day zero, right? It's the best time to build a company. 100%. It's a great, it's a great time to build a company. It's also a great time to be investing in companies. Yeah. And what I look for, look, I love all of my VC friends and partners equally. I'm on the VC and startups team, not because we invest. Yeah, this is my VCs. attitude when I'm not fundraising. <laughs> you guys are great when I'm fundraising. No. We, we work with VCs and help them out to find new startups and work with their portfolio companies. And what I always look for um, is like, let's say I was an LP investing in a fund. This is, I can't believe I have to say this out loud, but I would look for investors that have actually done the things that they're investing in. <laughs> Stop! Or at least had people on the team. Come on. Maybe even a very deep bench of very close advisors who have actually done those things, yeah. right? If you're investing in, advanced computing or space and defense I'll or take a vc with time at a private company i love the, like i've actually done it that's <laughs> right operating experience i'm in the chair yeah crazy and uh i think this is a great time for public sector markets those aren't going away especially not right now it's a great hedge um in in a downturn given the macroeconomic conditions right now and then the other thing i point out is a lot of what i work with in terms of space and national security and sustainability it turns out those are mostly deep tech startups. A deep tech has inherent value in that it's their fundamental transformative technologies that most often have strong IP that doesn't go away. When I assess a startup, I look for 
a good team, a good business model, and good technology. There's a longer version of that, but that's generally yeah, generally okay. it. And look, if you don't have a good team and business model, then it's just a science project. It's never going to make it out of the lab. But that still does retain value, inherent value in deep tech. There, so yeah. for investors who are out there, um, I would be looking very seriously at public sector markets, at, at deep tech that can sell to, that can, you can build uh, you know, problems that really need to be solved, technologies that really work. And then founding teams that can effectively bring those to public sector markets, that's what really excites me right now. Are you seeing the patience in the private capital community that's required for deep tech when growth markets are getting? That's what concerns me. I don't don't know if I I see the willingness to hold that powder or to to put enough in. So we're doing $10, $15 million seed rounds to get the infrastructure in place to even get some of the tech out. I see this weird... Yeah. It's like the VC community learned what like profitability was like <laughs> six months ago. And now that's the fucking thing. Everybody needs to be profitable. Deep tech, there is a longstanding talking point that deep tech takes longer to get to market and longer to exit than let's you know, than any other traditional venture capital investment. Yeah. That length, the number is actually going down. It's shortening. It's not the delta is not as big as I think people think. One. Um two. Again, this is why I think you well, and and by the way, deep tech is in fact underinvested at the seed stage uh, compared to any other venture backed, yeah. uh, you know, traditional technologies and startups. And so I think that there is a reticence on the fact of many investors to invest in deep tech at the seed stage because it's hard to understand. Like yeah. this stuff is complicated and hard. And again, these are fundamental transformational technologies. So like at the space accelerator. One of the reasons I love running a space accelerator is because we see these crazy projects and technologies and stuff that I certainly don't understand. This is why we have really smart people at AWS come and help with the selection. But we get to learn about this stuff every day. And our first some of the material science stuff that's happening in space right now is just unbelievable. Yeah. And we had in our first accelerator, we had 195 companies apply from 44 countries. And so we get to see all of that. It's awesome. And We're in a great position at AWS because we have a deep bench of technical experts to assess this stuff. As a venture capitalist, maybe you have two, three, four GPs, and maybe you're a generalist fund, but you're looking at a space deal, for example. I hear this all the time from investors, and they come and ask, like, how do I think about this deal? It's really hard. Yeah. And you can't fake it, by the way, as an investor. You can't say, today I'm a space investor uh, without that expertise. And so there is a ton of opportunity. But it's a it's a tough space. Yeah. So you're a little bit of an optimism though on sort of positive trending on time to value, right? For yep. for a little bit of deep tech yep. and some actual space in the market for some folks to move in. Is there a role 100%. for is there a role for the government there? Like what is what is that look like? Well, yeah. That's and not civil reform or right, like an empty office without capital. Well, okay, you just took the second part of my answer. Um, <laughs> no softballs yes, today, man. <laughs> yes, yes, there is a role for the government. And yes, the, well, I think that the government has, has to play a role in terms of meaningful and thoughtful investments into startups and venture capital funds for, the, for U.S. and allied national interest, period. How that's going to happen, we've really been trying. And I say we, it's the U.S. government. Uh, we, and this community, right? Second Front, Silicon Valley Defense Group, folks at AWS. Yeah. We all want to push the ball forward on this. Um, 
but we've been looking at this problem for a couple of decades now and it's not getting any easier. I do see some more focus, right? Like OSC, uh, you know, they other pulled a great team together over at OSC, right? Yeah, Rocky for sure. Wes Furlock and the whole gang all, yeah. all showed up at the same spot. I mean, that yeah. sparks and again, a little this joy. Is, this is like iteration, right? Rusted Capital, OSC. Rusted um, Capital had to, had to walk so OSC could run. I mean, we're, we're all learning. Right? <laughs> That's the nicest thing I could say about Trusted Capital. <laughs> what else to say? I, I just think that, look, 15 years ago, there was no front door to the U.S. government. Correct. If you were a founder, that Correct. was a really hard position to be in. Yeah. Today, there are like a hundred front doors. Also a tough position. Opposite to be end of the founder, spectrum of right? problems, and, but yeah. And it's great that there are a lot of people talking about innovation in national security yeah. and investing in some form or fashion into startups that are critical to our national interest. Um, it's, but it's still tough to be a founder and try to navigate your way in this wilderness. And like, for example, plug for the Silicon Valley Defense Group Academy. This is why in that academy, we take commercially successful startups that are very high potential and looking at the market, at the defense market, and we help work with them to help them understand that market and help them enter it and walk through the right front door and talk to the right person once they're there. Yeah. So we talk, we talk sort of AWS's role and how they're helping. You know, we've talked a little SVDG, we talked government and private capital, mm-hmm. talking about partners and allies, right? One of the things I keep hearing as I'm looking at, you know, conversations that are happening on the Hill. Yep. Whether it's confirmation hearings, whether it's policy, it's, it's, you know, this notion that, you know, as America, we've got sort of allies and partners. And if you look at sort of the CCP, it's more customers and clients. Mm-hmm. Um, are you seeing enough focus or are you seeing some, at least some focus on operationalizing some of those sort of policy relationships to turn that into tech integration, software baselines, some interoperability so we can actually get tech that works because we don't go to war alone. Yeah, this is a really interesting question. I hadn't thought about this in this, in this way. Um, my first job was joint interagency. Like I come from a very um, joint environment and, and um, have always done everything with our allies. And it's hard for me to say, to talk about U.S. national interests without saying U.S. and allied national interests, like in my DNA. So everything I do starts with five eyes, expands to other allies, NATO, et cetera. Um, and you're right. We can't do it alone. We never can. So what I see, let's just talk five eyes and, and beyond. So there are a lot of country level, maybe siloed efforts at tech innovation. We work with Australians. We work with the UK. We ran a UK defense accelerator. Um, but what I think that we can work on is one, nurturing those programs, but also integrating them at the operational level. I don't necessarily think there's enough of that. Plenty of events that we go to, Five Eyes Happy Hours, Five Eyes Conferences. Um, but in terms of integrating the tech, we're still working on it. And there's not a week that goes by that I don't get a call from a really incredible European startup that wants to come work in the U.S. and support U.S. national interests. And I'm still hitting my head against the wall, calling up people who are in the U.S. government and say we support allied startups. Um, but it's not easy. It's still a hard thing to do. Yeah. No, I hear that. Um, all right. So we're running out of time. I've been advised. Uh, I say this every time. I've been advised by my handlers that a <laughs> structured question at the end is good for the show. Okay, great. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, we talk a lot about national interests and national security and sort of leaving the country in a, in a better spot and everything we're giving to that on a personal level. Sort of as you look forward 
and you know you ring the bell on a great career and it's success what's that look like for you right i always joke about hey i want a river in my backyard an outdoor kitchen right i don't want anyone to see me if i'm out there cooking naked i want to be able to shoot my guns (laughs) like pretty simple guy yeah what do you what do you want what's that look like for you uh well, the most important We're thing gonna be there me with me. I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be there with you. I might buy the house next door. Um, and, uh, the most important thing for me is that I've, I've finished my life and career with a, with a happy family. And, yeah. um, you know, I've made a lot of career decisions based on that priority and, you know, might not always be good for my career, but it's the most important thing for me. And you know, the second is I was one of those kids that was told to leave this world a better place than it was when you came into it. So everything I do is about mission, whether it's tech or, you know, hobbies. I, I, I need a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And so when we're looking at this entire conversation, for me, it's about how you can make the world a better place. It's not only U.S. national interest, it's helping the world and helping like global stability and resilience. Yeah. Right. And if that's investing in climate tech, if that's supporting um, technologies and startups that you know, build more trust into our society and more stability. That's what I care about. And if I look back on my career and I can say, I've done a couple of those, maybe investments, maybe supporting startups, maybe, you know, directly impacting the mission uh, in my government service, yeah, I can be a happy man. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure. Like I said, I've been a huge fan for years. Love to be able to do this together. This is awesome. This is and uh, really excited about everything we got brewed for the future, man. So cool. thanks so much, brother. Thanks so much. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, appreciate it. Wow, look at you. You made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive-aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird.